It's good to be here. Let me just pray. I'm going to pitch straight into the word. And uh, just for those of you not used to preaching, I'm going to try. This is, this is incredible for me. I'm going to keep this down about 20 minutes. Oh, boy. Let me just pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to, I want to, Lord, I want to just be straight to the point. I want to comfort. I want to challenge Lord, I want to speak words of life, so I pray you just visit us now and open up the eyes and ears of our heart and just our mind so that we can know more of you and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, coming of age. As I was thinking and praying about this, a little image kept coming to mind, and that's 21, coming of age, getting the keys to the door. Now, today, we don't make much of 21, to be honest, but... My earliest memory, I was talking to Fliss about this, when I was uh, getting dressed this morning, I said, you know, my earliest memory, I was probably three years of age, was being invited to a neighbor's house. Uh, we were living in Harrow. My parents were invited to a 21st birthday celebration next door, and I guess they were worried about babysitting, and so the, the, the people said, well, bring them along, you know, bring them along. And so we went along to this 21st birthday party, I can only remember two things. One was that I was told that she was going to get the key of the door. This lovely lady who was 21 was going to get the key of the door. And I was a bit worried because I said to my mum, I said, she won't come in at night, will she? <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that it was the key to her door, not the key to my door. And the other thing I remember was that um, because we were very, I was three, my sister wasn't much younger. And uh, they put us in what they call an apple pie bed. Has anybody slept or tried to sleep in an apple pie bed? It's where they turn the bed down at both ends and one sleeps one way and one sleeps that way. We didn't get a wink of sleep and there was a party going on downstairs. And it was one of those occasions where every, I don't know, every 10 minutes we, we appeared at the bottom of the steps in our jammies and with Teddy saying, I want my mummy. And at the time, it seemed a perfectly reasonable request to me, but uh, with kids of my own who've now grown up and now grandkids, I know what it's like to be on the other side of it, you know. But anyway, my earliest memory was of this 21st celebration because there was a time when being 21 was a big deal. Being 21, you did get the key of the door. Being 21 meant that you could make your own way in the world. Of course, it's all different now. But I've been thinking and, and praying about that and and then as I think about coming of age and, and the journey that we've been on over the last 21 years, of which so many of you here have, have played a part, and actually I was saying this to Graham before the service began, I am touched and moved that so many of you were there with us at the beginning, and 21 years later, you're still here watching me go sort of white, not quite grey, I'm watching you go grey, but... Uh, <laughs> I have the secret of eternal youth, <laughs> not. Um, <laughs> but that, you know, that you've given yourself to this. And it's just so thrilling to me. And then, of course, along the way, new friends have come along. And some friends we've sent out to make a huge impact elsewhere in the world. And God bless Graham and Natalia and the family. Uh, and it's just been a wonderful experience, 21 years. And, and as I've thought about it, and as Fliss and myself have prayed for the church over these years, we have often visualized the church as a child. You know, we, it felt like a baby. Fliss used to have dreams, dreams upon dreams upon dreams in the early days of the church about the church being a baby. 
and having to change nappies and not being able to find any nappies and, you know, and all these kind of anxiety dreams because we were anxious for it. We fretted over it. Then, of course, the church becomes a toddler. And, man, the teenage years were fun. But now, like, we've come of age. And so, so what, what does that mean? Well, well I believe, I believe the very innermost part of my being that a church that comes of age should begin to make its way in the world. A church that comes of age should begin to demonstrate every aspect of the, of, of the, of the mission of Jesus. It should be a worshipping church. That's why I just love it that we've had Graham and the guys leading our worship, reminding us again of the centrality of worship. And of course, worship is a lifestyle. It's more than just singing songs. But I love it that this church has always been a worshipping church. It should be a church that is a community. It doesn't matter how big it is. And I've said this many times before. Actually, in my experience... I have found that the churches that God has chosen to bless with size and numbers are often churches that are actually very good at community. Not just a crowd. And it's through small groups and the qualities of relationships and life groups like like Rick was telling us, these things. Often it's the little churches, and I'm not locking little churches because there are so many of them, God must love them. But little churches are often very insular uh, and this holiday, I visited a little church and I felt awkward because it was like I was a kid with my face pressed against the window looking in to, to a family having a party and all I knew was I wasn't part of it. And, and, and so a church that has come of age really needs to have that, that community heart and emphasis. I love the fact that yesterday this became a cinema. I love that our people cooked for 70, cooked a three-course meal for 70 pensioners. And they came in and they watched The King and I with Yul Brynner. I mean, how cool is that? And they got a free lunch and they got brought here and they got taken away. I love the fact that, that people turn up in ever-increasing numbers. Who would have believed in a place like St. Albans? And we feed them. They go away with staggering. I saw a young man staggering across the car park this week. With two bags of groceries because he can't make ends meet. I, I love the fact that there is this sense of community. And of course that begins to bleed into compassion. I love the fact that you know, we laid hands on, on this team to go out and, and be good news. Not just talk about good news or send a bit of money to those poor people on the other side of the world. But they're going to go over there and they're going to come back with calluses on their hands. Sorry ladies. Broken fingernails. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And they're paying for the privilege too. I love it. So all of these aspects and more. I love the fact that this morning, this this week I was given a letter, a brief, a briefing letter that we're sending to our, our MP about vulture funds. We, like many of you, sent letters off to uh, our politicians about the vulture fund debacle, not debacle, scandal where poor nations have their debts sold on to ruthless, ruthless money-making organizations who have no compassion, who are capitalists, capitalism just multiplied, and who oppress the poor. And we have written and lobbied our MPs. And we got, I won't say which one, because we are engaged with two or three MPs. One of them sent us a 
a trite response, kind of round robin thing. It simply wasn't good enough. And with the greatest of respect, and we do all things with respect, we pointed out some things. And this came across my desk and said, Chris, we really need to send this letter. We're fighting for the poor here. Are you okay to, that it goes out on our notepaper? I mean, we really need you. We don't want a second opinion on this. We don't want somebody down the line. And I was delighted to say, go for it. Here's the stamp. A church that comes of age should be a church that, that is a saving church, a liberating church, a living church. A church that, that expresses the life of Christ in it. But it also should be a place made up of individuals, not clones, not robots. It should be made up of living, indiv- living elements, people, parts that come together, that come together to celebrate the life that is within them. And I'm just going to turn to the scriptures for the next the remaining 10 minutes of my talk and just unpack a very important question. This might go a little bit differently, Matt, but do the best you can. Dear Matt's on, on our uh, desk this morning. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture. It won't come up because I didn't ask Matt to do this, but if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and I'm going to read uh, until verse 19. If you haven't got a Bible and would like one, uh, a modern version, please just ask at our welcome desk. We'd be happy to give you one free. We'd love to do that. And this is a story that is familiar to some but won't be familiar to others. Let me just run through this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesar Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? I'm going to walk through this and explain it as I go. They're in Caesar Philippi. They're about as far away from Jerusalem, which was the center of their universe, as they could be. So there they are, right out in the sticks, two or three, probably three days walking. The very limits of Jesus' travels, really. Caesar of Philippi, right up there in the north. And so they're up there, and not so well known, and the crowds they left behind, and suddenly Jesus turns to his close followers, and he says, who do people say the son of man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now that's interesting, that response. I remember John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, came to our church back in 94, I think it was, and Graham and half of this band, Dave Moore and others, were part of our band then, and they kind of let rip with what, something not dissimilar to that, we, that we've just heard. And I remember Wimber turning to me, John Wimber, the founder of the International Vineyard Movement, he turned to me and he said, I came all this way to St. Albans. I never expected to find a southern boogie band here. <laughs> now, actually, that terminology didn't mean anything to me, and still I'm a bit puzzled by it. But he identified it as a particular genre. It spoke to him. And we do this all the time. You know, people will say to you, uh, do you go and see that movie? What's it like? And you say, oh, well, it's kind of like a romantic uh, thing with a bit of a thriller thing going on. You kind of describe it. And it puts it in a particular place, a particular genre. We do it with music. We do it with films. You know, you you go to a restaurant and somebody says, well, what was that like? And and you find, well, it's kind of Thai, but with a bit of Vietnamese. I mean, I don't know what that means either, but... You know, we, we describe these things. 
So Jesus says to the disciples, who, who do people say that I am, who the, the Son of Man is? He, he referred to himself as the Son of Man. We could spend time on that. We're not going to go there. And they say, well, they kind of say like you're, yeah, good question, Jesus. You're like John the Baptist, uh, Elijah, you know, Jeremiah, something like that. Very interesting. Because it tells us something about Jesus. John the Baptist John the Baptist's central message was a, ma- a message of repentance, calling the people back to God. Not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, or Jesus feeding pigeons and doves. You know, I, had a, I think my first Bible had a kind of a front piece picture of Jesus, all in blue. He was very white, very Caucasian. And he was standing there, and all these kind of like field mice were standing on his feet and all sorts of stuff like that. Has anybody seen that picture? Is that resonating? You know? It's a very familiar picture. They wouldn't have recognized that Jesus. I don't recognize that Jesus now. Who is that dude? How did he get the job to model for Jesus in that children's Bible? I do not know. Because when his followers were asked, well, you know, what am I like? What, who, who do people say that I am? They said, well, you're like John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist caused so many problems that he ended up having his head chopped off because he was a thorn in the flesh. He was heralding in God's new kingdom and the existing kingdom, the kingdom that was, and believe it or not, the king to some degree still is, really was not impressed. They then said, yeah, Elijah. Well, you know what Elijah, Ahab called Elijah? The troubler of Israel. You're getting the picture? So he's John the Baptist calling people to repentance, ends up having his head chopped off and put on a plate. He's Elijah, the troubler of Israel. He spoke, Elijah spoke into high places. He challenged the idolatry there. He challenged the, 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 you know, the, the wrong emphasis. And then Jeremiah, well, oh my gosh, Jeremiah. We have a Jeremiah this morning. Jeremiah was passionate about his God. And he was passionate about God's people. Some prophets, then and now, you think, wow, they don't really like people very much. They just want to beat up on people. Jeremiah was different. He was called the weeping prophet. But he, he had a great tenderness for God's people. But he still gave it to them straight. He didn't, munch, he, 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 he didn't sort of just you know, mask his words or... Or kind of back off from the truth. He told them that if they carried on as they were, they would end up going into exile. He was very unpopular as a result. So when Jesus says to his disciples, and they come back with that kind of a reply, I think if I was Jesus, I'd have said, "Oh no, that's a real, that's a real bummer." Oh, don't they think? Doesn't anybody think I'm nice? Apparently not. And yet, you know what? The crowds couldn't get enough of Jesus. Yes, he was a healer. Yes, he was a deliverer. Yes, he was a savior. But you know, they felt safe with him. Why? Because they knew that what Jesus said was true. What Jesus said was truth. That Jesus feared no man. Indeed, he was the son of God. The son of man. And although sometimes he made them feel uncomfortable, they felt loved. 
They felt masses of acceptance. They felt that they'd come home when they were in Jesus' presence. Let's just read a little bit on. So Jesus then turns to them. Boy, he's kind of asked the question, who do they say I am? And then he says, kind of reels them in. He's hooked them. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You know, this is probably, this was probably and is probably the most important question you will ever have to answer. You know, next week, one of our staff members, Richard and Tara, are getting married. They will be asked, do you take this man? Do you take this woman? That is an important question. But I would go so far as to say that the question, who do you think Jesus is, is an even more important question because it has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. So he asks the disciples that question. And Simon Peter always had a bit of a gift the gab. He, he blurts out, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now the Christ, if you're not familiar with that term, the Christ was the one that Israel was expecting. He was the anointed one, the holy one. He was the one that was going to come as a deliverer because as many of you know, Israel at this time was, was actually a, a nation under occupation. The Romans ruled over them. A foreign nation ruled over them. And there was this belief that the Messiah, the Christ, would come and deliver them. But Peter doesn't say you are just that you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. Note that word living. The living God. You see there was no shortage of gods in the land. Just as quite frankly there are no shortages of gods in this land. And I'm not just talking about the obvious religion one. There are things that we give ourselves to in worship. We give our time, our energy, our money. They have become idols to us. But what Peter says is profound because he says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The real one. The one true living God. Jesus responds with enthusiasm. He says this. He says, I tell you, Peter... You know, I will, you know, you, you have, you, this has been revealed to you from heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, Peter, as many of you will know, went on to be the, the founding father of, of the church, he, uh, the Catholic church. And I see one or two Catholic brothers and sisters with us this morning, you know, regard Peter as the founder of, of, of Rome and the, the bishopric there. But actually, Jesus was not saying, I'm going to found my movement on you, Peter. What Jesus was saying, what he was meaning was, I am going to found this life-giving, world-changing, international, transcultural movement on this core truth. That God is the living God. And that Jesus Christ, the one who died for the sins of the world, is his son. 
But it's not enough that, that I am part of a denomination that believes that. I love the fact that we started with that, um, I believe, Graham. Do you know, I, the funny thing was, when I was prepping this talk, I even thought I might even throw up the Nicene Creed, just as a kind of thing. I didn't think I'd have time, but we sung it. You know, we sung the creed. It's not just about ascending, assenting to doctrines. Yes, as a denomination, we have a position on that, and we unite with other Christian churches in that, but it's, it's vital that you yourself answer this question, who do you say Jesus is? Oh, well, I come along because my wife comes along. Well, I don't know, my mates came. I thought it was good to go to the vineyard and something going on there, so I came along this morning. Oh, I'm just here because the baby's been dedicated. Well, I thought it was a wine warehouse. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> you, know, you know, however you came, welcome. But it is no accident. And I say to you, just as God the Father revealed to Peter that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the fact that you're here this morning is that God is wanting to woo you and to open your eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ is, not was, but is the Son of the living God. So, 21 years. Man, is it that much? It's gone so quickly. You know, if you, if you want to know about our vision, I could do a vision talk. I'm not going to do a vision talk. I want to just teach from the scriptures this morning. But by all means, if you're not familiar with our background, do, do go up to the bookstall. I've, I've asked the bookstall to, to put our, our DVD, the history of the vineyard, this church, out there on special offer, and it's five quid, apparently. Get a copy of that. Sit down and watch it. Show your friends who are asking questions. Well, what is this thing you're going to? Show them that. 2020 vision. Five pounds, the stall. Ba-boom. But the reality is this. The reality is this. Every single one of us has to answer that question. Who do you say I am? And when you come to that moment, albeit one of reluctance, albeit one of apprehension, albeit one that's laden with questions, I don't know whether I can believe all this stuff. When you come to that point of just tipping on that side of believing that this Jesus is the son of the living God, then you are at the beginning of an incredible journey. A journey where you begin to discover truth on truth, not just about yourself, but your family, others around you, our community, our society, God's plans for the world. I commend it to you. Finally then, as we do this, I want to encourage you. Jesus said that to Peter, now you've got it, Peter. Believe this. The gates of hell will not be able to stand against you. And that's another thing for a church that is coming of age. You know, for, for too long, Christians have been locked up behind closed doors, hiding away. But actually, that description of Jesus is about the gates of hell not being able to withstand this good news, this Jesus-empowered, Jesus-believing community is an offensive thing. 
And it speaks of the army of God. It speaks of the sending out. To put wrongs to right. To bring in the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus says to Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And my prayer is that we, as the vineyard in the 21st century, will be a church that bears the keys of the kingdom.